Welcome to the Automators. I'm David Sparks, and I'm joined by my co-host, Rosemary Orchard. How are you today, Rosemary? I'm excited, David. Uh, we, we have a guest. We've been trying to get him on the show for a while. It's been a bit tricky. Um, but, uh, you know, I think we've managed to uh, we've managed to do it. And everybody, you know, everybody loves this person. So we've got to have them on, right? <laughs> wow. Talk about a setup. Welcome to the show, Jason Snell. <laughs> It was not that hard to get me on here. Come on. It was I was I was gonna be on here weeks ago and you said no no, it's too soon and yes, put me off a little bit. Soon. So but I'm here now. Hello. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Despite the fact we have automated calendars, David, we somehow managed to schedule um, you know, two things at the same time. I don't mm-hmm. know how that happened. Uh, but it did. It's more efficient that way. Come on. <laughs> you, you say that, but I'm not that great at multitasking, unfortunately. Mm. It's hard to multitask a podcast. For for the folks who don't know Jason, um, he's the former editor of Macworld Magazine. He now is the proprietor of SixColors.com, one of my very favorite websites covering Apple. Uh, the former host of an amazing podcast called um, Free Agents. Yeah, I don't know how how that ever ended, <laughs> but but yeah, Jason makes a couple podcasts. Uh, so <laughs> uh, the Incomparable, and uh, you've got several shows here on Relay. And uh, you know, Rose is right though, Jason. Everybody does love you because you've been around the mm-hmm. block so many times. You bring so much experience to the Apple community. I told you when the, when you first left Macworld and you you made six colors. The thing I loved most about that move was that w- you were going to be doing less administrating and more writing, and we all get the benefit of the great stuff you've been writing. So, um, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. I've been a, a little listener, and I'm glad to be a participant. It's great. One of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show is because you know you're like me. You're somebody who is. Uh, programming adjacent, right? You didn't go to school to become a developer. Mm-hmm. You went to school to become a writer, but along the way, you keep bumping into problems that involve technology and you're a smart guy and and automation aware. And you, it just once in a while, you'll put a blog post up with a little Apple script or something. And I just know mm-hmm. intuitively that you have put a lot of automation in place over the years and and we wanted to get that story out for the audience. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it, I think it's been with me and you're right to call it programming adjacent. That's exactly right. Like I've never been that. I've always been uh, perceived, I think, as as a a you know person who's interested in computers since I was in elementary school, essentially. But yeah. um, in terms of actually formally doing computer things, that's something that has basically never happened to me. It's all sort of been I'm using the computers because I'm enthusiastic about them and I want them to use you know to do work for me. And that's how I kind of fell down the rabbit hole. I had this picture of like this platonic ideal of a programmer and it's a blank slate and a white screen and you start to type and you have your plan and you do all of that. And I know that that's not true, but it's way more true than the kind of hacking things together. I, I'm much more like my dad when I was growing up, he had a, a a shed that was basically his his tool shed where he would go and he had like circular saw and he would he would bodge things together out of different pieces and like he was very handy that way in a way that I never have been but that's what I am doing with technology that's what I'm doing with computers especially I feel like when I'm doing automations and scripting and things like that it's it's pretty much that same thing which is piecing things together to do a job and it's not necessarily um that that idealized pristine thing uh that I imagine programming to be, even though it's probably not, but it's just, it's, it, it comes from the totally other direction, which is like, what pieces do I have here and how can I put them together to, to serve me basically? 
as somebody who spent the day programming and tra- and spent most of the day staring at the screen going, but why are you doing this? This shouldn't be possible in this mm-hmm. language. Um, you know, programming is never as clean and smooth as we pretend it is. Um, you know, it, it's it's the, the metaphor of the duck, right? From, from above, everything looks really smooth. The duck's just gliding along. If you look below the water, it's frantic paddling. Um, you know, no matter how good you are at programming, there will be days when there's a lot more frantic paddling than there is anything else. Um, and... You know, at the end of the day, providing the result, which is the gliding across the water, gets you where you need to go, it, it doesn't really matter, you know, how crazy it is behind the scenes. I get that. And and I, I think when I when I talk about that kind of pristine idea of the white room where a program is written, uh, I'm really more just trying. I mean, that's that's obviously my conception, which I know is wrong, but it's like it, it's approaching it as I'm building something like approaching something that you're building and you're a professional and you're building it for something to be deployed, to be seen by other people, probably to be, you know, to be used by a lot of other people. Um, that's not what I do. Right. Like mm-hmm. that's that's my feeling is like I'm taking assorted pieces that might be in different programs or different languages using different techniques. And all I really am trying to do is solve one of my own personal problems or make something easier for myself with no intention on it being pretty, no intention of it being something anyone else will ever see, right? And that's why I started at Macworld and I've continued at Six Colors. I I write these things called bad Apple script columns, right? And the whole idea behind it was okay, this is terrible. I know it's terrible. I know you can point out a million ways that you could do this in a different way. But my goal was basically to show my work and say, look, did you know you can automate this thing in your life by doing this thing? And I guess that's that's why I view it as different from the kind of programmer approach in the sense that it's not really meant to serve anybody but me. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm using the, the pieces at hand and I, I, you know, right. So I know that's kind of abstract, but that's sort of how I separate user automation from, uh, from, from programming. If we're going to talk about that divide, uh, that's, that's sort of how I do it. And I have since put some things on GitHub that I've written and it's a deeply disconcerting experience and also costs, causes a lot of work because now I'm like, oh, okay, I can't just hard code this to my hard drive name and this file path. And now I need to comment on this and explain what I'm doing here. And it's, it's even that step is just a huge step forward from, I'm going to do this thing, keyboard maestro, and it's going to run an Apple script that they write like that, that, uh, and that's how I got started with this is, is definitely that kind of of, of stuff. I n- never formally learned how to do any of this. I just started tinkering and uh, changing things to you know on the computer to serve me. That's basically how I did it, and that, that's I, I, it. Just feels I'm approaching this stuff from the opposite perspective of somebody who was actually trying to make something from scratch for other people to use. Yeah, and that's really for me the primary goal of this show. I, I think there's a lot of folks out there who think, oh, if I want to make my computer work harder for me, I need to be that guy in the white room and have a computer science degree. And you don't. You could be a history major or a dentist or whatever, and you could do a Google search for Apple Script to solve a specific problem and cobble something together. And people like Jason and me do it every day, and sometimes they are really ugly, but it is very satisfying to have your computer do tedious work for you and you can do it. You don't need to be a programmer. And uh, that's why, that's why I'm happier here. The first time I did anything like this, I was thinking about this before coming on here. I ran a, because 
I'm of a certain age. That's about what David's age is. Yeah. I ran a computer bulletin board when I was in high school. Sure. So this is you dial in with a modem and you log in and one person could do it at a time and you leave messages and you send little mails to each other. And it was a thing before we had online services and the internet. And that ultimately I ended up with this. I don't even remember the name of it. Um, Telecat maybe. It was a BBS program. It was written in BASIC which meant it was open source. Um, like technically, literally you could type list. Yeah. It was on the Apple II, list and see the code, right? And that was the start of it because I ran that BBS and I got the stock code and I ran it and then I started to have ideas of it would be better if it did this. What if it worked this way? Could I add a menu item that did this? And I'm, I mean, I'm sure like everything, if I look back on it now that I did in high school, that it was probably all terrible. But that was the start of my automation journey in the sense that I was bodging things together. I was looking at the code someone else had written and changing it to serve my needs. And and that's really where it started. And then, you know, that on the Apple II, it was a lot harder to do stuff like that. There wasn't any kind of like system-wide automation. But that was my first idea of like, oh, I can just change the code and add a new subroutine and all of that. And that was that moment where the light went on. And so then when I got to the Mac and uh, System 7 came out and AppleScript came out and uh, there there came a time, I think when I was still in college, where... I was doing an online magazine called uh, Intertext, which is still my domain to this day. And we had story submissions from the internet. People would send their short stories in and we would read them and vote on whether they were good or bad or whatever. And, it, and you know, databasing like how we feel about stories and what stories came in and when have we replied to them and sending out the form letter rejection and all of that was a lot of work. And that was that moment. That was my formative Mac automation moment where I, I ended up writing an Apple script and again, stealing code from examples that people were providing on, you know, Usenet or in books or wherever you could find it for how to script FileMaker and how to script Eudora, the email client, so I could do stuff like do a batch rejection of all the stories that we rejected. And and that was the moment on the Mac where that light came on, which was like, this is the greatest thing I, I have discovered yet as a computer user, the ability to have these two programs that are not connected to each other talk to each other via the script and say, get me, hey, FileMaker, get me a list of all of the stories that are in the to-be-rejected pile and the email addresses of all those people. And then, hey, Eudora, let's make some rejection letters <laughs> and, and, and send those out. And that was the moment where I thought, oh, I, I get it now. Like, instead of using a computer being all these series of kind of walled off apps, I now have the ability to tie any little bit of functionality anywhere on my system to any other little bit to make mm -hmm. it do what I want and save me time. Yeah, you know, it's funny because just recently I was working on a script and my my daughter interrupted me and I said, just give me 10 minutes. I got to finish the script. And she says, Dad, I don't understand. Are you a programmer? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, no, I'm not, no. but I can, no, I'm not, but I can make, I can make existing applications work together that, you know, that that's mm -hmm. what it, to me, automation really is. It's, it's taking the best stuff that's made by people like the Omni group and, you know, BB Ed and all these great apps out there and then bending them to your will through automation. And once again, anybody can do this. Sometimes people call it like writing, writing kind of glue. And you yeah. could you could say that or bridges between or even some basic kind of logic of 
you know, I want something that will will tell this app what to do, but what this app needs to do is different depending on something else, right? It's like, yeah. in the end, yes, I think you're using other people's tools for the most part uh, to do a task and you just, you know, but you just want to do it. I also am a real believer in that idea. And I know both of you are too, that computers are really good at doing repetitive tasks. Fundamentally, they're really good at that. It's a pain for humans. We should use the computers to do the repetitive tasks, right? We should not have to do the same thing 50 mm -hmm. times. That's just bottom line. The computers are really great at that and they don't complain. So have them do that task. And that I think every, I'm a firm believer that everybody's life on their computer would be improved in some way by the application of a little bit of automation. Yep, definitely. Especially because the computer is going to do exactly what you tell it to do. It's not going to get bored and think, ah, maybe I can skip putting tape on this box <laughs> or whatever it is nope. that's supposed to happen. It, it, you know, it's going to do exactly the same thing again and again because computers, fortunately for us, don't get bored. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure mine's getting to the point of, don't you have enough cat mm. subreddits subscribed yet? Really? Really? I think it's judging me. That's fine. Shouldn't we be a little afraid of when computers get bored? Is that when they become the overlords? I don't know. Mm. That's why we need to keep automating things, just to keep them interested. Yeah. yeah. Keep them busy, productive. Keep, keep their minds occupied. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. But that's, it's just one of those things. I try to explain this to people, and I know you've, you've all been through this and you've talked about it on the show, too. The idea here that, yes, I do believe it can be fun to solve a problem. It absolutely is true. But I do believe, in the end, the gauge is, how much time can I put into this thing? And how much time will I save on the other side? And it doesn't always work out, but most of the time it works out pretty well that you're like, I can put in two hours on this thing and save myself ultimately over, over like a year or two, save myself way more than that. And at that point, you should do it. You should, you should automate it. You should take the time. If you can find the time to put that work in up front, because yep. it will pay off. And sometimes it's shockingly, like I have a script that builds the newsletter for six colors. And like I because I, I wanted to shift it to weekly and I was like, there's no way I'm manually building this newsletter weekly. I already resented building it monthly. There's no way I'm going to build it weekly. And, uh, you know, that took time, but I think it paid off within like three weeks because it was saving me so much time and mental energy um, to, you know, no longer have to worry about building that newsletter then and that's the secret to all of this stuff is you know you you have to find that time up front but uh it's probably a pretty good calculation of how much time you'll save now if you spend 10 hours building something that saves you one second that's gonna take a long time to pay off it might still but but oftentimes it's just very obvious that doing this same thing this happened with my wife um she had a repetitive task in microsoft excel where she came to me finally and she says i've been doing this for a year where every month i have to like I have to search and replace these five different things and then delete these columns and then do this other thing. And I, she said, can, can we do something about that? And I was like, yeah. And I, I don't know how to do macros in Microsoft Excel, but I figured out enough, just enough to do that. And now for the last like three or four years, she just has a macro she runs and it's done. And it, that job that used to take her an hour takes her 10 minutes now. It's great. That's the, that's the dream. Yeah. And I really think that when you first get into this, if you're thinking about it at the beginning, you may, you know, that may be a losing equation that time spent versus time saved as you kind of get up to speed. But the, the benefit True. of it is once you start learning automation tools, 
they, um, you know, you can quickly capitalize on it. I, you write a couple of Apple scripts mm -hmm. and suddenly the third one is really easy to write. And um, that's one of the reasons why I talk so much on the show about tools like Hazel and Keyboard Maestro, because I feel like they really kind of uh, uh, make that on-ramp easier and faster because they do a lot of the stuff behind the scenes that normally you would have to do in Apple Script or some scripting yeah. language. Um, so I think that's a great way to start too. you know, pay somebody for one of these third party tools and, you know, then the time you spend will be less. And, and in some ways you'll be able to do things with those tools you couldn't do with Apple script anyway. Um, but, um, it's okay to lose time when you first go down this road, because in the, in the long run, you'll be amazed at, at how much it helps. Yeah. I mean, and there is initial investment. If you've never used the tools before there, there's no doubt about it. Um, generally, even if the investment doesn't quite pay off, I, I feel like the, the secret to getting into user automation is to find a really, not necessarily a difficult problem, but find a place where you are hemorrhaging time. <laughs> yeah. and, and you're like, all right, I have to do this now. Because that's what happened with me is, you know, back in the, in the 90s is I cannot keep sending out rejection letters one at a time i i can't do it right like make a new message paste in the form letter text go over find the next person mark them copy their email switch back to the email client paste it in copy their name switch back to the message paste it in right like it, it was a 15 step process and you had to do it for 30 or 50 times right and and, yeah. and for me that's like i think that is a really good trigger which is this is so odious that now is the time to learn how to fix this, right? Whatever that problem is. And it could be a simple solution, but like, I feel like that's a great way to, to set down the path is, is yes, it may take you a long time to figure this out, but it, it's just odious enough that you have to, you have to do it. You have to stop. Like, there's gotta be a better way. Like it's an infomercial or something, yeah. right? Like help me user automation. You got to save me here. And that, that's the one that's going to push you over the edge. Yeah. And the other big benefit is once you get under your belt an understanding of what you can do with automation, suddenly you start seeing all sorts of places where you can use those mm. tools. Right. Like just earlier today, I was doing something um, and then I realized I actually need um, to send an email every time this task comes up um, in OmniFocus. And it's like, okay, so I, I need to send the emails like, hang on a minute, URL schemes or mail to link. I can do this and make it one tap. It opens the email and bam, done. It's like, oh, wow. Okay. I was expecting to write an Apple script for this or whatever. I was going to do an Omni automation. It's like, no, 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 no. Simplify this thing, Rose. Simplify it. Uh, and I did, which is great. This episode of The Automators is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. Just go to linkedin.com slash automators to post a job for free. Today, many small business owners are busier than ever. Time spent searching for and interviewing the wrong candidates for a job opening could be time better spent growing a business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to get the candidates worth interviewing faster, and it's free. Hiring the right person for a small company is so important. Just think about the culture fit. If you've got a company that is five people, one person represents 20% of that culture. It's a huge deal and you need to get the right person. So create a job post in minutes at LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 750 million people. Focus on candidates with skills and experience you need. Use screening questions to get your role in front of only the most qualified people 
Then use the simple tools on LinkedIn Jobs to quickly filter and prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidate worth interviewing faster. Did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash automators. That's linkedin.com slash automators to post your job for free and check it out today. Terms and conditions do apply. And our thanks to LinkedIn Jobs for their support of the automators and all of Relay FM. What's in your tool belt these days when you want to do some automation? I know that you do stuff on mobile and also on the Mac. I mean, what are your tools? Yeah, yeah. Well, on the Mac, so I spend most of my days at the at the Mac. Uh, although when I'm writing in the backyard, or you know, basically when I'm in the house, I'm I'm generally on the iPad. But um, and I do have a bunch of shortcut stuff that I built. But at my Mac, it's a broader selection. You know, there's some of those off the shelf tools that you mentioned. That's kind of codeless, or it can be codeless. That are are really great. That you know they're not just baby tools for people who don't know how to write scripts. Like they're so good and like, make me not have to write a script, please. Right. So, um, Hazel, I am using keyboard maestro. I use quite a bit. I bought a stream deck. Um, hi everybody. I bought a stream deck. I bought a mini. <laughs> how, it's only how, got six okay, buttons on okay, it. I was going to ask how many buttons has this got? It's we, only got six. Okay. I, I, I was, I was very much like, I don't see the point of the stream deck for a very long time. And I finally was like, all right, I sort of see it, but I'm not buying one of those with lots of buttons. So I got the little one and that, that has driven me into some more keyboard, keyboard maestro stuff. Cause that's the best way to do that. You guys have an excellent episode about it that people can listen to if they haven't already. I enjoyed that episode a lot. Gave me a lot of ideas. Um, but that got me even more time spent in keyboard maestro. But um, honestly, the number one automation, well, no, actually there are two, there are two other ones. It's not quite automation, but I want to put in a plug for um, Swift bar, which is a menu bar utility uh, and uh, related to it. It's basically a follow on of a, a product called BitBar that now is called something else. I can't even remember what it's called now, but um, there are a couple of these free utilities out there. And what they do is they run, um, scripts and put things in your menu bar. So it's not quite automation, but it kind of is. And I use that all the time. I've got like uh, a script that reads the data file from my weather station and puts the current temperature and the temperature trend. And if it's raining and stuff up in my menu bar, I've got one for the uh, the quality of the air outside and whether it's good or bad. Um, how many people are listening to the Relay FM live stream? I've got mm-hmm. one of those. That's actually pretty fun when I'm doing upgrade or liftoff. Um, I see that there. So, so I, I am using that, using my sort of, uh, script tools and, and those, that's a real hodgepodge too. I've got plugins for, for BitBar and SwiftBar that are like, I've got Python and PHP and shell scripting and Apple script even where it's just the, the, you know, running an OSA, the OSA script command. Uh, I literally have a dot apple script file in there that runs apple script it's kind of amazing but the number one thing is automator and i i you know i'm working on my mac os monterey review mm-hmm. and you know we're all very excited that shortcuts is coming yeah. to monterey but uh what i really am excited about is that they are they are kind of going to replace ultimately automator and automator's place in mac os because it's so important and i've, I've written about it a bunch but like the the integration that Automator has been given into macOS, especially into the Finder, 
while I wish it was even more than it is, is still pretty amazing. And so I have a lot of automated actions that really aren't, I know you talked about this, um, with uh with dr drang on mac power users david right? like so I'm, I'm repeating what he said but sure. it is this magic moment of if you can put something in an automator action you can right click on a file in the finder and uh you can act upon that file or folder with an automation of your choosing and i use that every day because I have wired a whole bunch of things, most of which are like Apple scripts or shell scripts or Apple scripts that run shell scripts, which is mm-hmm. another great thing about the, the stackability of all the automation here is that and when, even when shortcuts comes in, you can write an Apple script that runs a shortcut that runs a shell script that runs a Perl script that run, like you can you can stack them all and use the pieces that serve you. And so I have for all my podcast stuff, like I have these these tools that convert your files and sync your files and. Uh, so you can build a podcast very quickly. I've got uh, I've got one that uploads my podcast file when I'm done to the server and puts the uh, the URL on the clipboard. I have one that takes the Six Colors podcast that we do for members and uploads it and opens Mars Edit, the blogging tool, and mm-hmm. creates the post and auto fills it with the uh, the standard output of that. I've got you know so so I'm using Automator again, not mostly for Automator. Um, uh, and I've actually taken to using a utility called service station, which is really nice because it, it basically will elevate, uh, your favorite automations, uh, and you can set filters about when they show up and it it puts it right in the, uh, control click, right click, uh, menu in the finder instead of down under the services submenu or quick action submenu. So it's a it's it's a, a level of complexity, but also a level of kind of it's much easier that way. And you can you can say I only want this for MP3 files, or I only want this for MP4 files, or I want this for all audio files. So that's a nice little extension of that. But you don't have to use it. It's just it makes it a little bit faster for me. So I've been using that. Yeah, and and I'll second the nomination on that app. That's a great app. It, it started out a little wonky, and he really got mm-hmm. it tuned up over the last year or two. David, you have to stop keeping secrets from me. I didn't know about this app. It's <laughs> in the show notes, everybody. And I'm, yeah. I mean, it's in the show notes and I'm installing it right now because I need this. So this is the thing that's a little bit ridiculous is that um, Apple, uh, so Apple has led you put automations in the quick actions or services submenus when you right click on a file in the finder, but apps can put things at the top level. And so like Dropbox spams like eight things in that. Uh, but that's the brilliance of service station is service station basically says, okay, you can put your automator actions inside me and I'll put them there. <laughs> like, yeah. Yes, yes, please. Uh, so I, and you can also put like apps in there. So I've got Photoshop in there and I can right click on a, on a file and choose Photoshop and it will open it in Photoshop. Uh, so there's, there's non-scripting things that it, that's just a nice Mac utility. Um, and then I'll, I'll throw out two other things that I've been doing. Um, one of them is, uh, just straight up Apple script. I have some just straight up Apple scripts that are great that I use all the time. I have one for building. Um, I do a lot of podcasts, as you said, um, and and I built a system where I've got a folder that is full of zip files of uh, basically the templates of my podcasts. It's got like in the zip file is the logic file and the the folders the way I want them and the logic file for that podcast set up the way I want it. Mm-hmm. And then I have a script that looks in that folder, uh, provides me with a list of what's in that folder. I pick one 
and it unzips it and moves it to the desktop. And then it does a few other things. It actually loads the RSS feed for that podcast, sees what episode is the most recent one, renames a bunch of stuff to be the next episode. So it's already named the right number and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, Stuff like that. Uh, For date-based ones, it does it with the dates of the Six Colors podcast. It dates it the day that I do it. Uh, It's just, it's a little thing, but it is, uh, it's just something I built because I realized, again, I realized that every time I was doing a new episode of a podcast, I had to fish around for the template and, and then unzip it and move it to the desktop and rename it and look up what the number is. (laughs) And now I don't do any of those things anymore. So I'm doing that a lot. And then the last thing is I've been learning uh, Python, so which is kind of wild and out there, but it's like I thought I would. I wanted to learn a scripting language because my I don't really know any scripting language well except for Apple Script. You can't really ever know Apple Script yeah. well because yeah. essentially the dialect you have to speak changes for every single different app that you script. Mm-hmm. And I was doing a lot of things in Apple Script that were totally not necessary because I knew Apple Script. So like if you're doing Loading web content, there are better tools, and every tool does, uh, you know, looping and uh, and basic logic. <laughs> and yet, I was doing these things in Apple Script, and I thought this has got to stop. Like, I need to perform an intervention on myself and try something new. And so, I took that newsletter script that automatically generates the six colors newsletter on a weekly basis, and I redid it in Python. Um, because I thought this is a script that doesn't need to be an Apple script. And then I could put it up on my web server and just have it run automatically up there. And I don't have to worry that the Mac that it's running on is running every week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did that. And that was really instructive. And I've, I've written a bunch of other Python scripts for my, I have a little weather station in my backyard. And, and I use a program called WeatherCat, which is like the Mac client for that. And it has these data files and it makes very ugly graphics. And I, I've always been thinking like, could I make better graphics? And so now I've written a Python script that like walks through the data file, which is scary, but it totally works of, of WeatherCat and generates the charts that I want to see. And uh, that's been amazing too. So, so that's my new, my new toy is, is learning how to use Python and have Dr. Drang tell me all the ways that I'm doing Python wrong uh, in a, in a kind way. He's a very kind person, but uh, it's definitely like he, he actually, this is a great tip for anybody who's communicating with somebody who's starting out, which is I showed him my script and he said, this works. If you wanted it to be more Python-y, you could do it this way. But mm-hmm. that was I, I was so impressed with that because other pre, other people on the internet would be like that's the, that's wrong like but it works <laughs> no, it's, but it's wrong and he was like no it's just not Python people do it a different way and that was very yeah. educational so anyway that's 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 my whole set of tools at this point it's 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 a lot but like I keep coming back to the fact that Automator is at the heart of a lot of it not because Automator is great because it's really not it's very outmoded shortcuts is going to be so much better but because Apple has opened that that door for you to put whatever you want inside an automator action yeah. and put in the finder and act on all your files. And on the Mac, that is so powerful. And you can in, put any script in as a payload inside automator. And then suddenly automator is actually quite powerful. It's a Trojan horse, right? And it's yeah. silly. <laughs> I do have a few, I do have a few cases where like my uh, charts that I do every quarter for uh, Apple's financial results on six colors, I, I have a, a chart and it comes, uh, it's like 20 charts that come out of the numbers spreadsheet and i'm doing the charting in numbers i'm not doing the charting using python or anything like that it's just in numbers numbers makes pretty charts that's why i'm using numbers and my automator action for that 
It's not an Apple script. It's an automator action. And the reason is automator because I found like the best way to do it was to write a script to export this PDF. The only way to get high quality file or files and images out of numbers is to use PDF. Exports a PDF. And then it uses automator's tool to generate an image from a PDF. Mm-hmm. And then it goes to another Apple script that does the rest of the work. And that's a, that's a case where I actually thought, you know, the easiest way to do this is just split my script in two and put an automator action in the middle. And so I have to give automator credit. There are times when I use those automator actions. I wish there were more of them. Shortcuts has a lot more of them. But... Uh, but you're right, David, most of them are Trojan horses. Most of them are essentially automator action is run script. <laughs> the end. I, I, I want to talk a bit about the idea of Python as your project. Because um, a lot of people do write in asking where, you know, if they want to go to the next level, what should they do? And often my advice to people is JavaScript, because I feel like JavaScript mm-hmm. is, you know, applicable not only on the Mac, but there's a lot of stuff on um iOS and iPad OS that uses yep. JavaScript. The Omni automation is all Java based. Um, I hadn't really thought of recommending Python. Um, are do you already are you already fluent with JavaScript, or did you actively choose Python over JavaScript? So going back to the idea that I'm not a programmer, right? Yeah. What what I have done is bodge things together, mm-hmm. and between building the new version of six colors in wordpress which gave me a lot of time i already knew a little bit of php but it gave me a lot of time the php i knew was very much like on my weather station page i use php because again the weather station app is kind of dumb i was like setting variables and then using php to say well if it's cold make it blue and if it's hot make it red right stuff like that yeah but using building a wordpress theme i was like okay so i learned a lot about php and php validation and all this sort of stuff and i had to learn github as a part of that um i also another project i did last year i mentioned having something in my menu bar for air quality Mm -hmm. last year i built an ios 15 widget to show air quality or 14 widget 14 13 14. I, where are we now 14 the new widgets and the and there's the scriptable app lets you write widgets in javascript and i found a widget that was not what i wanted but it was doing sort of what i wanted and i massively expanded on that and uh, got some help from people on using i basically by posting it on github and people made some changes and they mm-hmm. taught me a bunch of stuff about javascript so i spent a lot of time building that widget for my ipad and my iphone using JavaScript. And so I had this, and then um, and then my son is going to be taking AP uh, computer principles or something in the fall, and they're going to write everything in Python. And I thought, oh, Python, well, I would like to, I, I'm excited that he's doing that, and I would like to know more about it. So I, I bought a book about Python. The reason I ended up spending a lot of time in Python and not JavaScript, which I think is eminent, eminently reasonable, because you're right, David, I think it's more applicable to a lot of areas mm-hmm. and and uh, you can even script applications with it on macOS if you want to. I went with Python, honestly, because Python made more sense to me. Like, I spent enough time with PHP and JavaScript that I had this moment that was like, this must be how programmers feel, where I have opinions about languages. But <laughs> after spending all that time with JavaScript, if I don't see another semicolon until the day I die, <laughs> it'll be too soon. Like... I, I literally, I, I, when I started seeing Python scripts and understanding how Python did everything with indentation and not having mandatory semicolons and stuff like that, I, I was like, oh, I like this better. Like, that was it. It was literally, this makes sense to me. I like it better, so I'm going to explore it. Yeah. Um, I, I would like to think that because 
all of these scripting languages are similar, right? Perl, I, I did learning Perl and programming Perl in the 90s at one point. So I, I don't remember any of it, but I, I did go down that path a little bit. Perl, uh, you know, JavaScript, Python, they all have so many commonalities and also are so different from AppleScript in some ways, right? Yeah. That I feel like if I needed to do something in JavaScript now, I could. I would have to change the idiom and it would be a little bit of a learning curve. But I feel like just taking a deeper dive on Python has gotten me to uh, a place where I could cross train and go back to doing JavaScript again. Um, but in the meantime, I'm just kind of having fun using using Python. And it does, it just, it feels clearer to me. And I needed to pick something. And so this is the one that I chose. I think you made a really good choice of Python because JavaScript is great if what you're learning to do is upskill in doing things like building drafts automations, uh, using Omni automation, creating scriptable widgets, uh, maybe even JavaScript yeah. for automation. Probably don't just stick with AppleScript for that. JavaScript for automation is kind of broken on macOS. Yeah, um, but, um, yeah that's you my know, understanding. <laughs> but if you want a script that you can throw on a server um, and have do stuff, you could write it in JavaScript, sure. But you're going to have a much better time writing that in Python because you'll, you'll have your requirements.txt file, which tells, you know, your your program, which which libraries do you need? So, for example, for your newsletter, I'm, I'm guessing you're using a service and you might even have a library that can talk to the service where you can then say, hey, and just send all this HTML over there now, please, hmm. um, at the end. You're so nice to think that that's what it is. I mean, I'm just assuming the best here, Jason. I'm actually using MailChimp's RSS delivery system. Ah. And I build a one-off single item RSS feed once a week that is my entire <laughs> newsletter. And then and then news, uh, MailChimp looks at it and goes, oh, there's a new item and puts it in my template, which is basically just a wrapper. So I'm cheating there. That's another way that I've botched this thing together. But for now, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> well, I'm just going to take a quick Google. That's exactly the way I'd cobble it together, Jason. Something like that. You know? <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure know. creating an RSS feed is the easiest thing to do in any language. I mean, a JSON feed would be easier, um, especially as your name's Jason. Um, yes. So you would think it would be easier. Um, but there is a MailChimp uh, marketing API with an official client library for Python, um, which yeah. I think you can get with pip install uh, MailChimp or something. I, I, you know, at some point I am going to look into that. But my first thought about automating was literally just like, oh, could I do it with RSS? Because then I can just write a script and spew it out and put it on a server and this will work. And the answer is it totally does work. Yeah. But yes, I, I think I think in the long run, it's probably not what I need to do. You're right. In fact, I would say it's actually kind of illogical that I'm using Python because the two apps I write on on iOS are, are Drafts and OneWriter, both of which use JavaScript <laughs> as their automation tools. And I would probably be served to write some tools there. Um, I will say, not to, we haven't talked a lot about iOS automation here, this is my great frustration with iOS automation right now is that because there's no platform standard, everybody's implementing their own thing. And what I have learned, for example, is that although that you could use uh, Tayo or OneWriter or Drafts to do automation uh, in your writing tool using JavaScript, you can't use the same scripts in any of them because they all have their own specific JavaScript implementation. And it drives me up a tree because this is where this is where I really want Apple. Ultimately, I want Apple to, on macOS and iOS and iPadOS, to say, all right, if you need more than shortcuts, here's the scripting language to use. 
and have it be everybody go, okay, we'll use that. Because right now I could switch to JavaScript and and figure figure it out. But like the fact that I can't take my one writer script and run it in Tayo or in drafts because they're mm-hmm. different. They're just their JavaScript implementation is is different. They're using different things to do user interface and and so it's and to describe what the page contents are. And it's so frustrating. So I've kind of punted on that for now because uh, my tools over there are okay and I can sort of like hack together enough to do what I want to do. And because I'm really hoping that I don't need to learn, you know, or, or, or standardize on one app just because I don't want to learn how to script the other app. That's That seems bad too. Yeah, and I also think Rose made, makes an excellent point. I mean, you are in the business of publishing on the web and you're dealing with servers a lot. And I think Python is probably- it's true far superior to JavaScript for all that automation. Yeah. I mean, I've done JavaScript. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, I like I said, I've got a, yeah. I've got a, a Swift bar plugin that's running, that's written in JavaScript or JavaScript and one that's written in PHP, which is like, mm, I mean, right. Cause then you're doing node and you're, you're right. Like mm-hmm. it, it, you can do it. And I, I, I did enough. Like I'm, I'm just, I just know enough to be dangerous essentially yeah. to myself. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, the Python thing seemed like a, a cleaner kind of solution for the scripts on the server which that that was my really primary trigger was that newsletter and thinking i don't really want to have to rely on my mac mini to stay running and to be connected to my server to drop that file there so that the newsletter goes out plus this is probably way too hacky and i ought to uh do something a little bit more straightforward and modern using python but you're right still got to do more work there because it's still outputting to an rss File, but now it's doing it on the server that the file is hosted on. So I feel yeah. like it's a better, it's 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 less points of failure. That seems like a good idea. Always a good start. This episode of Automators is brought to you by Text Expander from our friends at Smile. Text Expander removes the repetition out of work, so you can focus on what matters most. Say goodbye to repetitive text entry, spelling errors, and trying to remember the right thing to say. When you use Text Expander, you can say the right thing in just a few keystrokes. It's better than copy-paste and better than scripts and templates. Text Expander snippets allow you to maximize your time by getting rid of the repetitive things you type while still customizing and personalizing your messages. Text Expander can be used in any platform, any app, any way you type. Take your time back and increase your productivity. I use Text Expander for all sorts of things, whether it's typing the right email address, whether I'm at work or at home, or just simply making sure that this long paragraph that I need to type several times a day actually has everything in it that I need. It boosts my productivity by really just simplifying what I need to do. And as a listener of Automators, you can get 20% off your first year. Visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about TextExpander. That's textexpander.com slash podcast. Our thanks to TextExpander from Smile for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, so before the break, you had mentioned that you do some work and have some frustration with automation on mobile devices. I guess I'd first start out with, you know, what are the tools you're using to automate on iPhone and iPad? Because I do know you use your iPad quite a bit. I do. Um, the Other than that script that I did in JavaScript with help of a bunch of people for the using uh, Scriptable, yeah. um, most of the stuff that I'm doing is uh, just shortcuts. and. Sure. I try to just use shortcuts. And in fact, my number one uh, required automation feature in any app that I would use to do writing in on iOS is, can I run a shortcut from here? 
mm-hmm. you know, and and pass the text of the thing I'm writing so that I can do something with it. And then number two is, can I bind that to a keyboard shortcut, please? <laughs> right? like, that's the next one is I also don't want to have to like tap and then or type and then tap or tap and then type or whatever. I just kind of want to do uh, command option S and send the file away. Um, and and the big ones that I built are, um, I, again, it, it's these are all of the same vein, right? Which is like, you did it that way? And I was like, well, that was the way that I could do it. So I wanted to build a system. I got tired of writing on the iPad and having to open up my web browser and go to my CMS and say, make a new thing and then take the headline that I had written in the document and paste that in and then take the body text that I'd written in the document and paste that in and then set up all the tags and do, do all this stuff and then press preview or publish, right? I didn't want to do that anymore. Again, lots of steps. I wanted to save save time. I didn't want to do that. And on the Mac, I could write in Mars Edit. I did do some of this automation on the Mac too, ultimately, so that I can post things out of BB Edit. But but on the iPad, I just I I didn't want to do it. Plus, it's iPad Safari. It's a little more ungainly, copy and paste, and you've got to move back and forth in multitasking iPad, which is not as mm. uh, as as uh, flexible as it is on the Mac. So I built a shortcut. That takes the input from a text editor. It started out as one writer, although I've done a bunch of different ones. Um, takes the input from the text editor, uh, and then it parses it. So, like, if there's a, it's Markdown. So, if there's an H1 tag, it it takes that and says that's the title, and then take it out of the body because it's not in the body; it's the title. And I I do a couple of different link types for six colors. Um, I do, um, I do link posts that, that go to another place. I decided to standardize how I handle those so that if there's a link that's named one, you know, number one, the script says, oh, this is a link post. That's the link you're going to link to in the CMS. So I'm going to grab that (laughs) and I'm going to, and then, and, and I know that this is a link post and not a regular post. So it's got a little bit of that going on where it's looking at what I wrote and saying, what kind of post is this? Are there any links? What, is there a title? There isn't a title. It asks you, what's the title? And then it opens it in the, uh, the CMS with everything already filled in and it could post it live, but I, I don't trust it enough to do that. There are mistakes often enough, you know, even if it's one in every hundred, I don't want to post a thing that's wrong or broken or empty um, if I can help it. So I, that's my last little pre-flight thing. So it opens first movable type and now WordPress um, to that page in the editor. And I can look at it make sure it's okay and press publish. And then I'm done. What's happening behind the scenes is that it's taking that document and it's formatting it uh, as an XML file because it's using the XML RPC posting interface that's available on movable type and WordPress to communicate directly to the server and say, I have a new post for you. This is the method that MarsEdit uses to talk to mm-hmm. web to talk to blog servers. I have a new post for you. Here it is. Here are the tags or whatever. Here here's the title. Here's the these custom fields that you're using. Here it is. And then it sends back uh, an XML file saying, "Got it." And here's your post ID. And then it reads that and then uses that post ID to open the editor at the point where it's editing that post ID. And I built this for movable type because guess what? There are no movable type clients on iPad OS. <laughs> Shocker. A very, very old CMS. Um, but it had that posting interface. And so I basically looked at what Mars Edit was doing and thought, ah, I could do that. I could fake that in shortcuts. And 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 uh, 
the same interface largely exists on WordPress. It took me 20 minutes to convert that to WordPress from uh, from movable type. Thank goodness for for standards. That's a very, very old standard, but it totally works. And as part of building that, I actually found a blog post that was, uh, it was an, a cached, <laughs> it was no longer exists on the actual web, cached blog post from somebody who had written about this in like 2006 about how to do an XML RPC uh, post for movable type. And I, I pinged him on Twitter and I basically said, you're going to love this. <laughs> Your yeah. post from 15 years ago solved the problem for me today. And he was like, that's amazing. I love it. Uh, but anyway, it's ridiculous and it totally works. And that's what I use. I, I write most of my posts for six colors on my iPad and mm-hmm. I post them using that shortcut and I love it. And I've got some other shortcuts. I've got a shortcut for when I write an article on Macworld that I want to link to I, where I can select the text in Safari and run the shortcut from the share menu and it grabs the text out, turns it into Markdown, asks me for a title and and puts that in that story type uh, with all the boxes checked right in WordPress. It's a it's a variation on it that's a little simpler because it's not coming from a text editor. Mm-hmm. Um but those are the ones that I use for the most part. Those are my two go-tos. I've got some others, but like really those are the ones that I use day in and day out is I wanted to build a posting interface for my blog that didn't require a separate app that I could just shoot out from my text editor to. And I've got a version that works with drafts um, because, you know, once you get to that point, it's fairly easy. As long as you've got an app willing to hand text off to a shortcut, you can do that. So can you just explain a little bit further on the first shortcut when you write your post in? Sure. Um, what is your methodology to to parse the text? You know, title versus body versus tags versus whatever else you're you're pulling out of that. Oh, okay, David. This is this is one of those things where it's gonna be uh bad Apple script, this bad shortcuts. Uh, that's okay. Me too, I, baby. I use a regular expression match. Sure to find if there is a a, a level 1 tag and mm-hmm. to take out to grab the the text that's after the level 1. Yeah. And if there is one then it does a regular expression expression search and replace on the body to remove that line because you don't have your title in the body and in the title, right? Yeah. You only have it in the title field. So it does that then it does, it's a series of regular expression matches. So then it looks and sees if there is a markdown link uh, in reference style called one and matches the URL and saves that as a variable and doesn't erase it because that's actually a hyperlink in the story as well. But yeah. it now knows and it sets a variable and says, this is this story type. And then it's got, you know, it basically has a bunch of variables that are based, that are set based on what story type is it? Does it have a link? Does it have a title? And then there is a text block in shortcuts containing basically an XML file, mm-hmm. except in all the little places where it says, you know, here's the key and here's the value. And it's like key is story type and value is that variable gets inserted in there. Yeah. And the body text, which has been wrapped, it's in a C data tag in XML. So it, it, it goes in as a, as a smart variable at that point into that part of the XML file. And so you build an XML file out of little pieces that have been generated by sort of uh, a few conditionals. And then you get, you put it all together in that text block that is an XML file with those things inserted. And then you do uh, get URL to the server. This was actually the trickiest part in shortcuts. You have to do get URL 
uh, and you have to use the dropdown and you have to say that it's a it's a it's a get and not a post and it's got to have a couple specific headers because you're uploading you've got to have it be like it's an xml upload there's some very specific headers that i have to put in there or it's rejected mm-hmm. um, and then the and then the content that's going is smart variable to that text block yeah, yeah. and then yeah. and then what's returned is the xml file that is coming from the server saying, yup. And then you have to do a, a grep search on that or a regular expression-based search to find the phrase of here's what your ID is. And then you use that to do a open in Safari with the string that will open a particular ID in WordPress with the ID number itself, a smart variable coming from that search of the XML that was returned. And you put it all together and it actually works, believe it or not. I mean, if it works, that's great. But what I'm amazed by is you don't appear to have any menus. And hey, Jason, what what's this? Well, I, I I don't know what what kind of story type is this um, from your shortcut. It's figuring it out. It assumes that it's a post unless it's got the link one. At which right. point it knows that it is another post. If it's a member post, it doesn't, you know, a members only post, it doesn't know about that. And there's no way that I've signified that. So I just have to check the different boxes in WordPress when I get there. I could come up with a a reason for that, but I've yet to find that it would save me enough time for me to care. Um, yeah. But it's really mostly those two students. I, I really had that moment where I realized, oh, if I standardize on what the link is in the link post, I can detect that it's a link post. Because what, yeah. I, what I don't have in this is a my own invented kind of meta language of mm-hmm. metadata for the blog tool. I've tinkered with that because I keep mentioning tags my system doesn't let me do tags. If I want to do tags, I have to apply them in WordPress or on the Mac in Mars Edit. Right. And I talked to Dr. Drang about this because his blogging system, he puts, I, I said, how do you do your tags? And he says, I put them in the text. I have a line that is tags with the tags and they get inserted. And I haven't gone there yet only because it requires you to get the tags right. If you type the tag name wrong, it's going to insert a new tag that's misspelled or whatever. And that's mm-hmm. no good. And I, I also just, I'm reluctant to put things in Markdown that shouldn't be seen, that, right. that I have to always rely on a script to, like, because if, the, if the, 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 the one link for a link post, like, that's a legitimate Markdown link that's used in the post. It's not, yeah. and Markdown does not have a metadata don't publish this qualifier. I would have to wrap it in, like, comment html comment tags and something and i just i just decided that uh, uh for now that's just not worth it for me but um all the rest of it yeah that's that's part of what i really liked if it doesn't find a title it asks for that but that's about the only user interface part of it i really wanted it to intuit from what the document was what it needed to do and that's worked really well like i love that it knows what a link i used to okay here's an admission it didn't used to do this until i figured out the thing with a, a link named one a reference link because i usually don't write markdown with reference links i usually usually write them in line yeah uh, don't email me people uh <laughs> i prefer them that way everybody can use it the way they want it but the reference link named one i was like oh i could do this because before that it was based on the file name and if the file name was six colors dash as at the start it knew it was a post and if it was link post dash it knew it was a link post and now it doesn't care what the file name is because it just detects it from the content, which is way better. Yep. Well, one of the things I love uh, about shortcuts is 
it knows, I mean, the people who made shortcuts, they, they know how scripters think, right? Like they, you got lots of different ways, lots of different paths to take and a lot of flexibility. The fact that they're, that, you know, you just build it, throw a text field in with XML and then start populating it with magic variables and all of that. Like, I love that. That's so, it's so great. In fact, that, that's a place where shortcuts, I feel like is superior to the scripting approach because when they did the second version of shortcuts and added magic variables in, that mm-hmm. was them saying, you don't need to set variables. You can just take the output from any step of the shortcut. And that's so much better, right? Like it's so, I only use variables and shortcuts now when I'm in a conditional and I need to say, if this, then set the variable to be that. If this, yeah. then set the variable to be that. But otherwise, like the content of a particular step in the file, it's just, I, I don't need to worry about it. Um, if I know that it will be executed, I know I can go grab it later. And um, and so I've taken advantage of that because the what I'm saying is the people who do shortcuts know that scripters are lazy and don't want to do that if they don't have to because it's all about saving time. Well, and also they also know a lot of people making shortcuts are not programmers and don't understand the concept of having to declare a variable. So why, why require it? And any visual scripting tool like this, any codeless scripting tool, even if you've got the best user interface, which shortcuts doesn't, it's still clunky. Every block you add is more clunky and more stuff getting in your way. And like, there is nothing worse than doing something in shortcuts and then having to go go like, all right, now I need to set a variable. Now I need to go get this thing again because I've just set a variable. So I need to get a different thing. And then I need to set that to a variable. And you end up with this big block of things that does nothing except save things for later. And it's terrible. And if you could avoid that, the, like what regular expre- expression match one of the things you can do is you can do a match with multiple matches inside it. And then at different points, you just say, give me that match number three, you know, and there's one statement to do that. And then, and then you've grabbed it. You didn't need to set it as a variable up top. And, and so that was a big, I I feel like that was a really transcendent moment for shortcuts and saying like, what is the idiom of a block based automation tool and setting a variable in code makes total sense. Right. Yeah. And in a code system where everybody's using a different text editor and write, like you have to do it that way. But shortcuts are only in shortcuts and shortcuts can offer the output of any step. And so for them to take that leap and say, um, here, the right approach is not to use variables. Don't use variables unless you have to, because everything's a variable. Every step outputs a variable. Um, you couldn't do that in other tools, but in shortcuts, you can do that. And it's the right approach. And that's why I think shortcuts is, has been so successful and why I'm so high on its future is that they seem to understand why in ways that shortcuts needs to behave that other programming tools shouldn't and couldn't and wouldn't, but that it's right for shortcuts to do it that way because it makes it easier, easier to read, easier to write and less clunky, uh, just to move things around inside the shortcut. Now, most of the shortcuts you've shared with us so far are iPad-based, or they sound like to me like things you primarily do on your iPad. Do you have any go-to shortcuts on your phone? Oh, in truth, no. In truth, I don't. I, I, I have very little automation stuff that I do on my phone because uh, most of my automation is writing-based. There is one shortcut that I use on iPad and iPhone that is uh, actually a version of something that Dr. Drang built, uh, which is if you're downloading a uh, Southwest Airlines reservation, 
he has a script that re- that looks at the calendar, finds all the Southwest Airlines uh, event downloads, and re- and basically remakes them in a better way, where the alarms are set to the right times and the information in the title of the event is clearer. Um, and has your 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 code that you're going to use for your reservation, and warns you that you have to check in for your flight. And I I have run that on my iPhone as well as my iPad. That's just one of those things that it's wherever I am when I'm making that reservation. But for the most part, I honestly haven't spent a lot of time with iPhone uh, automation. I don't use my iPhone a lot. I I work at home, um, and when I go out, in fact, a lot of times I go out with just my Apple Watch because I have a cellular Apple Watch. Mm-hmm. So I'm not. I'm not using my iPhone enough to do a lot of automation there. This episode of The Automators is brought to you by the Technology Untangled podcast. Go to technologyuntangled.fm and join Michael Bird as he untangles innovation through a series of interviews, stories, and analysis with some of the industry's brightest brains. Technology Untangled is a show that deciphers tech's rapid evolutions with one simple question in mind. What's really going to shape our future, and what's going to end up in the bargain bin with the floppy disk? In the most recent episode, Michael tackles the mission to Mars, and how far can we push it? Specifically, it takes 20 minutes to send a communication to Mars. That communication delay is going to make survival even harder. One answer is to take an all-knowing supercomputer with you to do the big calculations and make the tough calls. Michael addresses this head-on in the most recent episode of Technology Untangled. If you have any interest in space, you should check this episode out, but there's a lot more. Past episodes include a deep dive into 5G, which really explains how 5G works and what it means for you, how supercomputers are helping us with the fight against COVID by sifting through billions of molecules to look for drugs to repurpose. There's also an episode about artificial intelligence and the future of jobs. Every episode takes on a fascinating technology question and gives you some answers. Past guests include people from Google, Sainsbury's, Aston Martin, Red Bull Racing, The New York Times, and Nokia. Michael Bird has interviewed over 50 super interesting people just this year. Think technologists, scientists, academics, developers, futurists, and IT generalists. And in the final episode of Technology Untangled, you can hear about one innovation almost all the guests couldn't stop talking about, as well as learning how to prepare for tomorrow's innovations today. So search for Technology Untangled anywhere you listen to podcasts, and we'll include a link in the show notes. Our thanks to Technology Untangled for their support of the automators and all of Relay FM. So, Jason, you said you don't really use shortcuts on your phone, which is fine. And I'm guessing that probably extends to the Apple Watch. How about macOS Monterey? Because I get the impression that you have opinions, let's say, about shortcuts on macOS Monterey and the replacement of Automator. I'm excited about shortcuts on macOS. It kind of doesn't work right yet. I mean, (laughs) I'm so glad I'm not the only one. I'm supposed to be writing a book. You're writing a book on photos. I'm writing a new book on shortcuts. And so far, my book outline is... It would be great if it worked. <laughs> I, I actually just filed a feedback yesterday because I tried, I was talking earlier about these shortcuts that I, or these workflow, uh, sorry, I've, I've really completely spaced on that. These autom- these automator actions that I use with yeah. scripts inside them. And I thought, you know, I'm writing my review. Uh, let's Let's see how those run. And the answer is they don't run. And in fact, I, I zeroed in on like, input 
from you can take a script can get input from a shortcut mm-hmm. but then i my script first thing it does it, it gets passed a file it says what's the parent folder of this file and an error returns saying um finder can't get the current folder of that file well it works in apple script in the script editor it just doesn't work inside of workflow and like either it's a security issue where um whether they've decided or whether it just happened, they've blocked off certain kinds of scripting, which totally invalidates the concept of using this yeah. or it's a bug, but either way, uh, there's a whole class of, uh, my, my shortcuts or my, my workflow automator workflows that are going to be shortcuts at some point on the Mac. They just, they just don't work. Um, they just don't work. And it's, and it's because they're, the scripts are not allowed to do what they do, in automator at this point. And then there are other bugs, you know, it crashes a lot. Um, there are some, there's going to be growing pains with, with shortcuts on the Mac. I totally accept that. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I've noticed is places where assumptions are made about things happening on iOS that don't happen on the Mac, that it gets weird. And I mentioned earlier, I have a shortcut on the iPad where I select some text in a web page and run a shortcut. And it generates a file. It generates like Markdown and posts it to my my web server. I would love to have that on the Mac too. Mm-hmm. Um, but guess what? On the Mac, Safari doesn't let you run a shortcut from the share menu. And in fact, Safari on the Mac has kind of no good way of like getting the selection, the code of the selection of a window and processing it. Um, and so I've got this great shortcut that runs on iOS. And when I try to run it on the Mac, like there's literally nothing I can do. I can't run it right. If I run it from other places, it can't see what Safari is doing. So basically, and and I accept that this is a, a mode that is just not there on the Mac right now. But I think this is one of those threads that kind of starts to unravel when you talk about bringing tools over from iOS, which they're going to, I hope they fix it at some point here. I doubt it will be there in macOS 12.0, but I hope they follow it up because like, why can't I use the share menu with shortcuts on Safari? And I think the answer is because Safari on the Mac never had to do that. And so they never did it. (laughs) And it's on iPad, so it should be on Mac and it's just not. So there's a lot of that. Like I had a script that ran, my my posting script runs unmodified. I can, I I set up a thing where I run that shortcut from BBEdit and it totally works. The whole thing works. But, um, and I, it gave me a lot of confidence in the future of shortcuts on the Mac. But the fact is, most of the other things that I've got that I rely on on iOS or on macOS just don't work yet, at least at this point in the beta. It's too bad. I think there's really two categories because I'm, I'm struggling with it too. I'm going to make a shortcuts for Mac field guide and I can't record anything right now. And the, no. um, the, the first category of problems I think is that the, just the pipes aren't connected on a lot of things. And yep. I, mm-hmm. I think that they're probably, you know, scrambling to get them all connected. And I get that this is hard what they're doing. But then the, the other thing that Jason touches on is just the inherent differences between platforms and the assumptions that they're, they're bringing over the assumptions of an iOS device to the Mac. And there are some inherent differences that you need to account for, like, you know, the ability to have Safari run a shortcut. Another one for me is the ability to select a menu item. I think that is something that 
every automation tool on the Mac has has quickly adopted because Mac have apps that have menu bars and being able to automate selection of a menu item is one of the easiest ways to automate things. And that is just, you know, that's not present in shortcuts. There should be an action that lets you do that. And it's just, I feel like that that's because of the differences between the platforms. It's just not there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame, but hopefully it will get there because I know that the, the, the team at behind shortcuts are working really hard on this you know i've had um some things come back on some of my feedback and so on which has been great um and i know you know various different people have have been able to actually talk um to apple for various reasons about about different things one particular person had a very weird bug with cellular data um and so they ended up talking to an engineering team so it's not like apple just said hey this is it you know it's beta go um you know it it, it's it's a beta it is going to improve i'm just hoping it you know, vaguely stable in the next month because yeah. I would really like to be able to use it. <laughs> it's such a huge change. Um, and I I think it's going to take them time and I'm looking forward to that progress. I think whatever ships, like there's a reason that they're shipping it alongside Automator, right? It's because yeah. it's not, it's not going to do everything and they've said it's not going to do everything. It's a, it's a, a path that they're taking. I'm looking forward to hopefully some progress after the 0.0 release as they change things i also am stealing myself for the fact that the what i want to have happen is for you know regular mac apps to support shortcuts and i haven't heard from a lot of app developers about this yet but i hope they're looking at it the challenge there is going to be there's probably a lot of bugs on that side too right yeah. and, mm-hmm. and but bugs for developers and bugs for users so i yeah. hope I, I'm stealing myself for the fact that there probably won't be a lot of Mac apps shipping with functional shortcuts actions at the beginning because there will be bugs. And then as a user, when they do ship them, there will probably still be bugs. But it's a good, again, the beauty of it is all my stuff on the Mac works now. And I will be able to bring over some of my shortcuts. And I'm really looking forward to the ability uh, because I, I don't have iCloud syncing turned on on any of my beta devices because I don't want to mess up my shortcuts. Yeah. But it's actually been pretty good on, on the iPad. But um, I'm really looking forward to the ability to creating branching shortcuts that if there's one thing that's Mac-specific, I can just say, if this is a Mac, do this. If it's an iPad, do that. And end up with these master shortcuts that are just like a shortcut that does a thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's not Mac version iPad version, which is what I was really dreading, but yeah. it looks like that's all going to be possible um, eventually. Like it, it's possible detection. now, but they don't yeah. always work, right? Yeah. But like, I, I'm really looking forward to that—that that you can build something that's got all sorts of fancy um, Mac features. And if you're not in a Mac, it's like, oh, okay, I'll do it the iPad way then. That, that, yeah. That'll be great. And I'll only build it once, which is um, I wrote about this on Six Colors, but like my experience of trying to replicate what I built on shortcuts on an iPad on the Mac using scripting made me realize that was the moment where I realized, oh, we need shortcuts on the Mac because mm. it's way harder to do some of this stuff on the Mac than it is on the iPad. And that's a sign, right? That's a sign that like, maybe you need a new uh, scripting tool because it, the I tried to build the equivalent of my posting shortcut on the Mac and it was painful. Um, and I, I essentially gave up and um and am not using that now. I'm I'm using Mars Edit instead. So Yeah. Yeah. I know at the moment, um, for example, um the cross platform actions are not working, um, like full stop. Um 
Greg Pierce, who's the developer of um, uh, drafts, uh, so that's Mr. Agile Tortoise, um, uh, has in the drafts beta notes, at this time, shortcuts are not cross-platform. Um, for now, Josh, shortcuts created on the Mac show as unknown actions on iOS and vice versa. Presumably, this will just start working cross-platform in a future macOS beta. Um, but you, you can feel that there's a lot of weight behind the presumably slash uh, how much work is actually going to be required here? Um, because, you know, theoretically, it should just work. And I'm very much hoping it, it does. Um, but right now, that that's not working, even though the apps theoretically have the same actions available. Yeah. And it's really, I mean, this is a massive project. And, you know, I'm sitting yeah. here asking them to put in leather chairs and they're like, Dave, the pipes aren't hooked up yet. Just be cool, you know? And and we can be cool because they didn't turn off other automation tools. You know, they, uh, you know, all right. the Apple script, the JavaScript, the Python, the keyboard maestro, the Hazel, all that stuff still works. So it may take a little longer to get to where we want. But Jason's point about uh, easier with shortcuts really is true in this age. I think one of the key factors is security. Um, we're getting a time now where, you know, getting access to like contacts and other types of data on your computer is harder and harder for third-party scripting apps where I think shortcuts is going to make quick work of automation related to things like contacts. Totally. Well. Thank you for, for coming on, Jason. It has been lovely to talk to you. And of course, you know, you, you've got plenty of automation up your sleeve. So I think we're going to have to get you back at some point. <laughs> Once you actually had a chance to play with some of this stuff and it's working to see whether or not you've migrated that script over to your oh, Mac man. and whether or not it's exactly the same or maybe it's uh, it's changed a little bit. I'm looking forward to it. Um, thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed this podcast. And um and I think we gave it an upgrade at one point, didn't we? So we uh, never yeah. thanked you it's, for that. Thank you so much. It's, that it's, meant a lot to it's, me. Uh, yeah. it's, I'm so glad that the, a podcast like this exists to talk about this stuff uh, because I do think it's, uh, obviously I'm very enthusiastic about it and I think it's very important and I'm glad somebody's out there um, not only reminding people that this is important, but also pointing out it's so easy to miss, like something like Service Station. So easy to miss something that can really improve your life on your devices. If you uh, so you you get to spread the word about it. It's good. <laughs> the automator is spreading the good word of automation. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so we are the automators. You can find us over relay.fm/automators. We can find Jason at Six Colors, spelled out S I X C O L O R S. But I know you can also get it with the British spelling, right? Yeah, it'll redirect that one. British or yep. Canadians, you know, it just redirects you, though. It doesn't serve a version of the site written in British English or something. That doesn't <gasps> Darn it, Jason, you missed the trick there. It's a future scripting. There's going to be a Python script or something. That say that, that. That'd be the regex from hell to just British your <laughs> website. Um, but the uh, um, Jason, where else can people find you? I am Jason Nell on Twitter and, uh, you know, upgrade and lift off here at Relay FM and theincomparable.com for all of your pop culture podcast needs including some lovely Dungeons and Dragons, which I was honored to take part in last year. So, uh, and that's just coming mm -hmm. out now. So, yeah, yeah, that's right. You're, you're in one of the most, uh, uh, most recent episodes or in maybe the next one. It's yeah. Yeah. You, you make it your appearance. It's your, your triumphant appearance. <laughs> well, uh, it's, it's been lovely having you, Jason. And yes, we'll be having you back in the future. Great. Thank you both. Thank you to our sponsors, Technology Untangled, Text Expander, and LinkedIn Jobs. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye, everyone.